No eating in this class. You get used to doing your own business on your own time. That's one demand I make. Just like you wouldn't want me to come to your house some evening and discuss U.S. history on your time, understand? Yes, sir. This guy's been stoned since the third grade. Yes? Yeah, I'm registered in this class. What class? This is U.S. history. See the globe right there. Really? Hey. May I come in? Oh, please. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. (sighs) Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule's totally confusing. I know that, dude. Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. You're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick! Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by... So, um, this is me and Mike's first episode uh, for this director. We're covering Amy Heckerling, uh, which of course was Mike's idea, so thanks Mike. Uh, so I support women in film. As Mike long as Dave. they don't make too many movies, which, you know, is pretty common with female directors. because The glass ceiling has helped <laughs> me in my podcast creation, for sure. Uh, you know, I enjoy right. them more. Um i'll tell you what quentin tarantino that model as much as i like his movies i look ahead to future podcast directed by and limiting yourself to a set number Mm. not bad not a bad bad. idea but it could have cut it in half (laughs) let's do five how about that do one movie every six years or so you'll be good yeah That's, that's that's what we're looking for really struggled to get that funding and then it works out well for Mike and his podcast career. This has so. turned into a really dark way of saying why I enjoy uh, spotlighting female filmmakers. Um, but yes, Dave, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're along for the ride, you, you conservative asshole. That's right. That is me to a T. So uh, the first movie we're going to cover is her first movie, uh, which is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, which I don't know about you, but this is a movie for me that... Um, had been on had been on kind of like oh I should really watch that that list for a long long time and I watched it for the first time earlier this year uh, even though it came out when I was three years old so this is a movie that it's kind of like in a lot of ways one of the original kind of high school coming of age movies like I guess you could count uh, what's the uh, what's the George Lucas movie um, American Graffiti American Graffiti mm-hmm. is probably the first but this this is the one that really i think kind of fits the mold of the high school movies that come after it for sure this well feels it was like modern uh it wasn't looking back that's uh, true you know the, i mean we had to wait for what link later to come in and do the 70s but he had to do it in the early 90s so <laughs> uh yeah this is and i guess that's thanks to I, I was actually just curious um the book that i've never read 
um, that was Cameron Crowe, like uh, looking at it through a journalist's eyes of just covering what he saw uh, going back to high school, because as we know from Almost Famous, uh, that version of his character that he he left school uh, younger and then was able to go back uh, with his journalist hat on. Uh, but that book is like it's like seven hundred dollars. Like clearly, it's been out of print. Jesus. Uh, for like a paperback copy of <laughs> of this work. And it reminded me, like when you're saying I should have watched this, my first experience was when this came to DVD initially. Mm-hmm. So I actually saw this when I was in high school, uh, but it clearly was dated then, like, you know, the, the first DVD version of it. But it had a nice commentary track, which uh, I did not have time or the inclination to go back and listen to because Dave is like, hey, we got we got to get the content back out there. And I'm like, <laughs> wait six months. Like I'm trying to operate like the filmmakers that I love. Like, let's just give one episode every six months and then people will, will adore it. Surely they'll stay subscribed. Money um, well spent on that hosting fee. <laughs> other podcasters do it. Uh, strangely. Uh, I, I don't know why I, I include myself as well. Uh, so well, I saw you this put something when I was... out every six months, but you put out nine episodes every six months. It's Albums. Like, Yes, yeah, right. That's right. We're like EPs. I mean, let's not get crazy. <laughs> Don't challenge me. You'll see what you get on your uh, your iPhone in the coming weeks. Uh, so I guess I'm saying that I, I watched this when it was most age appropriate. Uh, still being a high school student, even if the even then at the uh, the late '90s, the uh, the lifestyle of the teenagers was still very different. Obviously, no internet. Uh, the heavy emphasis on uh, well, watching it now, living during a pandemic, where it's like the mall is the central hub for all social and professional activity for these teenagers with their first, you know, really shitty jobs. Uh, it was quaint, and uh, I don't know how long it had to go before it became quaint and became maybe an established classic. Because I'm sure this was, you know, the American Pie of its day, as far as like, oh, that's so edgy. But it didn't take American Pie long to become kind of corny and kind of cheesy like and looked at i don't want to say it's a family film but you know i don't, I don't <laughs> think anyone looks at american pie as like cutting edge material now um but yeah fast times i'm sure when it released piccoli was like you know the <laughs> what's the the great high school villain of teachers everywhere to have some and now you look at him you're like wow what a pleasant dude like he yeah. orders pizza and he kind of like it's like a nice guy joke around yeah what's the surf i mean yeah seems all right yeah, yeah. um yeah, so this is a, like you mentioned, you know, not only the mall being the center, but all these kids working. Um, and I think that, that's something that like actually makes it stand apart from a lot of high school coming of age movies to me. Um, usually coming of age movies, they're just kind of like, oh, these kids kind of figuring out their lives and dating. And in the case of American Pie, losing your virginity or whatever it may be. And that stuff is here too, but it's all surrounded by, by these kids working their first jobs or their summer jobs or kind of, you know, so figuring out life on a couple different, uh, a couple different poles here. Um, so it, it feels, it feels like it has a little bit more depth and it's a movie that when I watched it probably six months ago, I wasn't like, I wasn't wowed by it simply because I think the expectations were so high where I was like, Oh, this is the original coming to age high school movie. This is going to be great. And I was like, that's good. So good becomes like <laughs> good becomes nothing. bad because of the, because of the perspective, but watching Nothing's it sadder. again, but watching it again, you, <laughs> at your age, <laughs> sitting alone, being not like, that fucking good. Sometimes <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> but it's interesting watching it again. I liked it a lot more. Like now, kind of knowing what it was and 
knowing who the director was and her style, like I was like, you know what? Okay. This is, what, this is much what better. You, what did you reject initially? Like, I mean, cause there's, there's various little subplots. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I would say, I guess, judge Reinhold is, you know, connecting. He's the, the older, he's the going into a senior year and then his younger sister who's the having 32 year old high school senior. <laughs> he just looks so much older than he wasn't like, but he looks so much older than everyone else involved here. I don't, I don't think there was a subplot that I like rejected. I think a lot of it is because this has been these, these storylines have been done in other movies since then. Uh, that I've seen. So like when you go back and you feel like, oh, I've seen this before, like you have, but no, this is, this is actually where it started. Um, so I think my perspective was a little bit skewed just because, you know, I'm watching a movie that came out in 1982 in 2019. Like you're, you're going to have a little bit, especially when a movie has been recreated so many times and not only recreated by other movies of the same kind, but satirized and all these, you know, all these other comedic movie you know like so there's a lot of there's a lot of places where you're just kind of like oh yeah i've, I've seen this a hundred times before um so coming to it when i did was probably the problem i say i don't know if i feel like i've seen this repeated so much uh i've seen something akin to fast times meets mm-hmm. like that thing but Definitely. what that usually involves is uh well there's not going to be um uh, you know our main character uh, discovering sex with multiple partners, one of which is like an older man, like having sex with a like it's nothing girl. too. Like eh, you know, uh, it the other one is her, you know, second partner. She gets pregnant, has an abortion, like, and the it, the abortion subplot. It's not even like they they wallow in it as far as like now it's become this type of movie now like you had your fun and now it's like you know a movie i love is boogie nights but boogie nights has fun with the porn lifestyle and then it's gonna get once it gets to the 80s we're gonna punish all these characters for that fun they had in this lifestyle Mm -hmm. great movie i love boogie nights but i like fast times how they handle this you know darker subject matter by Mm -hmm. the life that these characters lead pretty much keeps going on and Um, even the, the guy that, um, I mean, he, what he does is scummy, you know, he, he doesn't take her to the clinic, doesn't help pay for it. He kind of denies it. There's a little bit of slut shaming. Like, how do you know it's mine? And it's like, you're talking to a very young person that's going to have a very small sort of, um, you know, social group, really like the school. And you're basically asking like, yeah, well, it must have been one of the the many men that you sleep with talking to this baby face Jennifer Jason Lee. Even this character who's like the, you know, Damone is the the smooth talking know-it-all who's, as we discover, not that smooth. Um, I love that Heckerling shows a sequence with him desperate on the phone to get money. He just doesn't have the money. And it's actually like a very real teenage problem where it's like, guess he needs to step up and be a man here. But he's still a child. But how? A child would not yeah. have. I would not have access to this. Like, he, he, I think it's important that they show him trying to do that, but they still punish him. Right. And, you know, the, the the characters themselves don't know that, so they don't let him off the hook. But at least the audience, you can see, like, you can put yourself back as far as like, man, what would I do if I was, yeah, sixteen? Hey, you're sixteen. Just... You can't like put it on a credit card. Like, this no. is not right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And actually, there's a lot of ways that this movie. This movie, it makes me feel like in terms of the way we deal with like coming of age stories, teenage sexuality, it almost feels like we've regressed in a lot of ways. Like I, I remember like, you know, when I first watched this 
being pretty shocked that you had two female teenage char- characters talking about sex, like at least one of them going like, it's not a big deal. Just do it. It's fine. And usually you don't see that from female characters in the coming of age. That's usually the male characters area where they're like, yeah, just lose it. Just lose your, lose your virginity. It's fine. So to have that sequence where these two women are just talking very frankly about sex was like, to, to my eyes anyway, watching a high school coming of age movie was pretty surprising, you know, and to know that this came out, you know, what, like almost 40 years ago. <laughs> and then you move forward in time, you see coming of age stories in the nineties and two thousands where you're like, Oh, the, like morally we've, we've gone to a much more conservative mm-hmm. place. Sure. Since the early 80s. I don't know how much of that is Cameron Crowe. I don't know how much of that is Heckerling uh, being involved here. Because she like kind of picked out this script um, like purposefully. Like she didn't just like, well, take any movie I can get because I'm a young director. Mm. She really loved this book and loved this script. So there was something there that really appealed to her. Uh, And I think like having a female voice behind the camera makes a big difference here. Um, Because I think otherwise it would be way too easy to you know i think i think if you had a male voice behind the camera and you have this the same story i don't think you have that scene that you were talking about with him kind of by himself trying to figure things out it would have just been like well that guy's that guy's a piece of shit um and our other character who's more soft-spoken he's the nice guy so we should we should really be rooting for him instead so it gives a little bit more depth to to uh to a type of movie that sometimes can be shallow because it's just trying to be funny and trying to I mean, be young. The Spicoli stuff right. probably is. I mean, it's it's funny the the breakout character. I mean, probably is often the case. Uh, going back to American Pie, Stifler is simple the, <laughs> yeah. was the breakout character, and he was the nemesis of our main group. He was the the asshole and sort of the the looming threat that kept interrupting their quest to have sex. I actually think like. Modern comedies, I'm talking about the, like the last 20 years, American Pie, Judd Apatow, like a lot of these male dominated male viewpoints of, of comedy, uh, when they touch on sexuality, it's extremely conservative and yeah. it's, it's coming from a place of fear, even for, you know, you go to like the 40 year old virgin, obviously a grown man. Uh, but you know, the, the, the family unit is very important. And I know he didn't have anything to do with American Pie, but. That group of characters, that is like all they're connected by is their perceived failure to become men. And this will this will define them. It is jarring, as you're talking about, to go back and see Phoebe Cates just be like, it's, it's, I mean, it's going to hurt. You know, the first couple of times after, after that, it's fine. And just, you, know, just, you, just, you just need to do it. Yeah, just just keep doing it. <laughs> I was and, watching this and I'm like, Mike must be loving this. Like someone in a movie just going, just keep fucking. Just well, yeah, it. I definitely would be one of the, the kids at the next table watching them, uh, you know, the way they Filet handle those carrot. uh, <laughs> carrots. Yeah, uh, very impressive, Phoebe Cates. Uh, that's not, not even touching on, you know, the I guess the most famous sequence in this film, which is the pull scene, which I think a memory of mine. Uh, you can read this however you want from the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> and now I was a good cinephile. Uh, I had the commentary track on, but I <laughs> seem to remember this thought quite a bit which was i think it was heckerling maybe it was crow because you should check it out they're both on it together um talking about that this is one of the most infamous like vhs tapes during the rental days because mm-hmm. that sequence <laughs> was getting worn out yeah <laughs> play multiple playbacks rewind uh and i was like thank god for dvd you know yep. I was, i'm glad i live in this this era freeze frame <laughs> baby <just> pulled up. <laughs> can't, can't miss it yeah absolutely 
so you brought up Spicoli, who, as you mentioned, is probably the, I mean, definitely became the biggest star, um, from this. Um, and also is, you know, the thing people bring up when you talk about fast times, but besides that one scene, besides that one scene. Yes. Um, so what did you think of kind of how that plot line wrapped up him and Ray Walston, you know, him, you know, like him taking up his time, like getting, That's getting back at Spicoli. Okay. I, I thought of you in this fucking podcast. And I was like, man, I've enjoyed this, this time away from podcast directed by and Dave, uh, like this old bastard coming into my, my room full of posters of naked women. Like, By the way, has Ray Walston always looked like he's like 60 years so. old? Like just born? He's got a great exasperated face, uh, which probably just, you know, put some miles on him. And then he just, it's like the child actors. There's something biological that's like they're, they become famous for being small children. So they don't grow like, you know, poor, <laughs> right. poor, like Elijah Wood was always going to play Frodo. Cause it's like, well, now you're, you physically have stunted yourself because somehow your body knows this is how you make money. Uh, so yeah, someone like Ray Walston, same thing. I actually love that the punishment is time-based. Yeah. That it's I'm going like to waste you, your time. Like you, you wasted, wasted mine. Uh, and it's like with a lot of stuff with Spicoli, uh, there's nothing like nefarious about what he's doing. He's just kind of honest about who he is. Uh, but this also this teacher is as well. Here's my expectations for you. Uh, don't fuck around with me here during this time. Uh, he doesn't seem to be like particularly harsh when it comes to the actual instruction part. He's just very harsh about mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting down and shut up and listen. <laughs> so that, you know, that little sequence they have in his room uh, before this like last dance. I mean, it's it's almost like two, uh, you know, two drinking buddies who like get into it often. But there's like a, you know, there's a warmth to it there. And because I, I think that that's coming off of Michael Bay month. I think Amy Heckerling going back to Damone, showing that sequence of him desperate to get money to try to do the right thing uh, after, you know, he's and he's going to do the wrong thing many times going forward. I think I think she like sees a little bit of herself in all these characters or she's mm-hmm. she's known people and certainly Cameron Crowe with his experience of just covering real students for this project. Uh that being said, I do remember from the commentary that she said that if she was, you know, one of the characters, she's she's Mark Ratner. She's the one working at the movie theater that doesn't know how to, you know, to, to approach people. And, you know, she's a she's a film nerd, like and always has right. been. Uh, but I, 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 I like that about it. I like even, you know, the Spicoli stuff is definitely my least favorite just because it's to what you're saying. I feel like it's been the most aped and copied. I can mm-hmm. enjoy Sean Penn as Spicoli. But I, I like that he is very much a secondary character. And there's probably a version of this, you know, I'm not the auteur that Amy Heckerling is. And certainly that's not where the money was. There is a version of this where you even pair back Spicoli just a little bit more for, for my liking. It's just because I'm far more interested in all the other characters. Even Phoebe Cates, who is, I don't think she's given the, the greatest arc. She's mm. the sounding board for Jennifer Jason Lee, And then you just get a little bit of it, uh, a peek behind the curtain where this great older guy she's dating has no fucking interest in coming to a, a high school dance with her. Like, you know, she's, she's been playing the part of someone who's more mature uh, than what she is because she has someone that will treat her as, as such. She has, she can be the mentor to someone else when really she doesn't have any more life experience than anyone else in that, that age group. 
all, all of those problems I like. Uh, you mm-hmm. hate Judge Reinhold. Apparently, you hate his his quest to work at the best fast food joint. And you hit the the tragedy when that's taken away from him. <laughs> like I don't know his scene of things. getting fired is pretty pretty epic. That's that's quite a way to go out if you're gonna if you're gonna go out. <laughs> I am so tired of dealing with incompetence. It says one hundred percent guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick one hundred percent of your ass. Uh, is there a problem here? Can I help you, sir? You bet you have a problem. Your employee here used profanity and threatened me with violence. I'm surprised. I eat here all the time and usually have good service until today. All I wanted was my money back on this breakfast. It was a little undercooked. And he threatens me with violence. Now, I'm going to call your supervisor. Uh, I can take care of it. Mr. Hamilton, did you threaten this customer or use profanity in any way? Uh... Why, he insulted me first. He called me a moron, Dennis. Answer me. Did you threaten this customer or use profanity in any way? Yes. You're fired. I'm very sorry, sir. I'll refund your money right now. Hope you won't hold this against us. You know how these young kids are these days. Here we are. Perhaps another breakfast. I hope you had a hell of a piss, Arnold. I'm going to kick 100% of your ass this is a pretty... And I, I hope it was a hell of a piss, Arnold. But... <laughs> I actually love the reading of that line, that I'm going to kick 100% of your ass, because you could tell... Breaking you could tell, kind of... Yeah, it's breaking. You could tell he's, like, surprised that he's saying it. Like, it just <laughs> flies out of his mouth, as things do when you're a teenager, and maybe some of us when we get older, and just have, like, no control over that when you get angry. Uh, I actually do really love that scene. The thing I appreciate most about this movie, and you kind of hinted at it, is how well balanced it is with these characters. I do agree that I wish there was more of Phoebe Cates and her relationship with this older guy. As it is, it just does kind of feel like it comes out of nowhere. Like, oh, now she's crying because bad things happen. No, no, we don't get any of the real background there. Um, but the way the, there could have been a tiny bit less Spicoli, but I think I like just about where it is. And I really love that last scene between him and his teacher because in a lesser movie, and honestly, in most movies of this type, a director would pick someone to get a win in that situation, whether it be the teacher or the student, one of them would get over on the other, but instead it just kind of ends with this, like, all right, now we know who each other are and we can kind of move on, you know, and it ends up very even handed. Um, in a, in a style of movie that as it's gone on past the eighties, you know, it's not real mellow or even handed type material, but instead they're just like, okay, this teacher isn't a total dick and this student isn't the worst. Like they're both kind of somewhere in between and now they've figured out where each other sit. There's also a strange awareness of Spicoli himself where he's like, do you have someone like me? Every year, right. like that, you, know, you have to. What is it, his words? You have to make an example of. It's like, a you know, remarkably they, self-aware moment. Yeah, for Spicoli. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I wonder how much of how much of Spicoli was scripted, and how much was just Sean Penn, even in his early days, just sort of uh, method acting. Well, yeah, uh, I, I know, know a lot of it was um, ad libbed. Like, there's a yeah. lot of moments here that are not in the script, never written down, because he was. You know, of course, Sean Penn being a fucking asshole was a method but that's actor also, from the beginning. That's that's also the character where you can just say Spicoli just comes in and something funny happens. Really, it's just him yes. just walking in and just just react to him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I mean I 
I, I gravitate more to uh, Judge Reinhold as far as the uh, the high school. He's because I think he's the strangest character. If there's an archetype, mm-hmm. he is the older brother. He's a great older brother, and the fact that he never and actually the film itself never involves the parents. I, I feel like Crow said that. That's what he he wanted to get across was that in the high school experience, uh, and especially in a lot of entertainment, uh, American Pie again makes like the father character like a beloved figure in mm-hmm. this guy's life. Um, that when you're in high school, like your parents, that that world is totally separate from what you're mainly concerned about. So it's like you get you're getting to do a practice run at adulthood with other kids who are not yet adults. Uh, but I guess Judge Reinhold takes on that part, uh, just being like an older voice for his sister, but never really questions or challenges her. There's no like he's actually like probably what you would want at that age, what you would want your parent to respond with, which is just. I can keep your secrets. I can okay. support you and I won't involve myself unless you want me to become involved in your world. I trust you can handle this and I just want to make sure you're okay. That's it. I mean, it, it's a really like, it's a really, it's a really sweet moment. Yeah. Um, and again, that sense of realism is here. And again, whether that's Crow or Heckerling or a combination of both in, in a lot of movies of this type, you would expect like a big speech. So, you know, that the char- the brother character is a nice guy. But instead, he just kind of leans against the car and goes, okay, it's your life. I'm here if you need me. But if you don't, I'm not going to insert myself. It's he's fine. got his own secrets, right? Like he's yeah. got this great sex life that doesn't actually exist. That he's desperate. Like, you know, he's desperate to take that next step. Um, <laughs> and just a guy that he's really into his car. Like he's really like he's got all the presentational aspects of someone that has succeeded through the high school experience. Uh, and I, I guess the one, you know, reveal going back to my favorite sequence is the fact that he's jerking off to Phoebe Cates in a damn like pirate costume. Like he comes in from his, his shitty job. Uh, I, I think, I think you, you often say like in a, another filmmaker's hands, I think that's an example of heckerling. You have to get the gag in, right. And you also have to get the, the nudity that you need in an eighties, like teen comedy, which, you know, I'm not arguing against it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm Never. Not. <laughs> but I, I don't think that she, like, you know, the, in, in American Pie, like, Stifler is the funny one, right? But, like, there's times where he's pissed on. Uh, he, like, drinks another man's semen. Like, the gags are so much so where it's like, man, it's really hard to walk this character back to any, like, level of respect. Where I, I mean, can you imagine a sequence where Stifler has a younger sister and he, like, sees her coming out of abortion clinic and he's like you know whatever you need you know i won't tell mom no way it can't happen and you because you can't (laughs) you can't do that 180 and i guess the masturbation gag is the closest you get to it uh because visually it's just like an extremely embarrassing thing and with his get up that he's in but you know i I don't think heckerling is thinking like oh this is someone that should just totally be laughed at like i think she wants all these high school characters to have some sort of uh, three-dimensional quality where they're, they're more than just even what they're aspiring to present to, to their, their uh, fellow peers. Uh, so even if Brad has not successfully been able to have sex with his girlfriend yet, like there's still something to admire uh, about him that he's, he's a good brother and he's a good uh, convenience store clerk, right? He saves <laughs> Spicoli, which I guess is the audience favorite <laughs> Spicoli yes. at gunpoint. Uh, and I guess Spicoli saves him as well for just, showing up that's spigoli's superpowers just show up and you know that moment in particular is another it it's reminiscent to me of that you know the firing scene as well where 
she could have made, you know, him be super cool in that sequence, but I love the look on Judge Reinhold's face as he's like holding this guy at gunpoint. Like he cannot believe that this worked out, which is kind of what that experience would be like. Mm -hmm. If you managed to pull that off as a high school age clerk, you're going to be like, Oh, oh my God, this actually mm -hmm. worked out for me. And I like the, you know, and it fits in with the Cameron Crowe ideal of the uncool, uh, as, as we move forward in his writing career. But I love that none of these characters, even in their coolest moment, are like movie star cool. Like there are, I guess maybe Spicoli because he's like so high of in his mind that he's constantly cool. But everyone else is but just kind of like, oh my God, this actually worked out for me. So even in the fantasy sequence, the dream that Spicoli <laughs> has of him winning some surf tournament or whatever, I love that they still dig out like a little trench to make him, Sean Penn's not an imposing man. And they make him even smaller in that sequence where the women are towering over him. Yep. Like, I, I love the, uh, it, it's something I referenced in other podcasts talking about, I guess, other movies, but like uh, Heckerling's decision to have on the Mark Ratner character, his first date with Stacy, to have the, the set dressed where the, the chairs were oversized. Like, like so they're they look the like they're on thrones like yeah it's... yeah to to make them feel more childlike and you know, to make that more nerve-wracking so you and the audience are like it just gives you a visual cue of like how it felt to, to and feel there's, that small there's other cues in that scene too like the fact that they think going to a fancy dinner is like going to this like german hofbrau like that well, is the like honestly that age if you're sitting down to consume a right. meal it's a it big probably deal. was yeah, yeah. You're not getting, you know, served by Judge Reinhold at the counter. Like you're, you're sitting down. Someone is taking your order. You get to order more than one Coke. I mean, I'll it's a what, big deal. <laughs> I would much rather have gone to that fast food joint with Brad because that guy, uh, he took pride in the burgers and fries. Like he announced yeah. himself. He was, he loved that job. There's, <laughs> there's something so sad about both him loving that job and having it taken away from him. Um, I don't know. I, I did not intend to come in this month being like, you know what's great? Judge Reinhold. That dude rules. <laughs> but in Fast Times, he does. I love this character. Who knew? That's where, that's where this would end up. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I just keep coming back to the fact that I feel like I wish, I wish movies like this happened more often. I wish that coming that's of age great. movies took more risks. Um, cause this is like, Kind of like every 10 minutes of this movie, there's a choice made that I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm seeing this in a high school movie. You would never see that now. I mean, starting off with something you mentioned at the beginning that like one of our lead characters is, you know, having sex with someone who's like 25 years old. And it's not like a thing. It's not a like Look, it, it never comes back at the end. It's just like, yeah, that's that's how I lost my virginity. And anyway, moving I, on, I can only I mean, I don't know about your high school experience. That would not have been that out of bounds when I was in high school. Like there no. was always these, the girls, like at least in my class, were always dating these yep. uh, vague older guys, which I, I hope they were more like the Phoebe Cates type, where it's just like an idea that they just tell their friends about, as opposed to this predatory like behavior of a guy that knows full well that he's going to have sex with an underage girl. And like, just does the bare minimum to be like, how old are you again? But like, well, even at dude. the beginning, he's like, you look like you're 15. And then here's yeah. my phone number. I'm like, ooh, yep. God. I love that Heckerling doesn't leave that leeway. There's no like, well, she said she was 19. He doesn't know. It's pretty she's clear dead. from the beginning that he's very aware that she's underage. Like whatever That's lie the, she uh... tells later, like he knows. That's the unfortunate reality of that particular, you know, 
adolescence, like that stuff is uh, movies, you know, sort of lied to me as far as the, the coming of age stuff where it's like you, you have the like the high school relationships like that where you, you have the sort of training wheels of dating. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, goes from crush this like long gesting sort of like courtship type thing when usually it is like it's scarier and it's decidedly more adult uh, when it shouldn't be at that. You, know, you should yeah. have the uh, like almost famous is, is would be an extreme example of the character. And so I guess Cameron Crowe is coming from that perspective of like being thrown in to the, the deep end as far as life experiences and then coming back to it. So I, I wonder, I really wish I could get my hands on this expensive book. I actually, you know, took your fell off the truck thing. I'm like, is there like an EPUB like torrent of this? Like, cause right. I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on a paperback, no? but <laughs> no, I'm not that interested. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like when you said like, I wish there were more coming of age movies like this, like in you know, the last, great one for me was like spectacular now but that's about mm. an alcoholic like right. that's an extreme version and it doesn't have the ensemble quality where you get to you get to have the mark ratner at the movie right. theater um and i wonder if the time that this was made makes such a difference because like i think about in the in the 80s uh not only when this was written but when this takes place uh, was kind of this big era of divorce in the united states so you mentioned mm-hmm. like parents not being around and like in movies before this and maybe movies in the 90s and 2000s, it might seem odd that like parents weren't at some level of the forefront of these movies. But in the 80s, you don't question it because that's there were a lot of latchkey kids in the 80s. So like they might not be involved at all. And I think it's it helps this movie that you have that. And I love the fact, though, that they don't really explain it. There's not a thing where like, oh, my parents are divorced and they fight all the time and blah, blah, blah. There's none of that. It's just like. This is the way it is. These kids just kind of do their own thing and they all work at the mall and they all have a bunch of free time and get into shit. And this is this is who they are. Um, and I think I think it really helps. It really helps the movie. Like it's like they are. You mentioned like training wheels for relationships. These kids, it's like this training wheels for adulthood. Like they are all like, you know, you even take, you know, one of your lead characters, the guy who works at the movie theater. Like I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a coincidence that the whole movie, he's kind of play acting as an adult and he's like dressed basically in a tux for the whole movie. Like he's got this very (laughs) fancy looking like, but is totally underneath that completely unsure of who he is and can't really figure everything out. And again, you know, there are, there are male characters in coming of age stories who are unsure of themselves and who are awkward, but it's very rare to see a male character kind of turn down physical intimacy uh in a, in a moment like that like i, I can't remember the only other time probably I've seen a mistake ratner <laughs> <Yes>. probably <laughs> <laughs> go for it buddy this is this is your time <laughs> this is it. but he's okay i had that same thought and i knew because i was like man dave's gonna come at me with this one like how much did you hate that mike because everything every instinct i have is like uh what a fuck all up i here. was gonna but... say was like don't you love phoebe kate's just saying just keep fucking that's <laughs> yeah but you know it it speaks to, I guess, my version of, of coming of age, high school comedies and what I'm watching as far as like, I, I think little Mark Ratner here was, was enthused that he was getting this like much attention and affection. But I do think he, you know, his viewpoint was there are steps to this that mm-hmm. we have to take. And there's, there's a strange certain responsibility that he has a maturity in that moment that comes from lack of experience. It comes from immaturity, but boy, does it slap him in the face, like making the mature decision there. That's like, ah, oh, maybe this could backfire or it gives the wrong impression or I'm not putting 
my best foot forward. This is, this was, I, this was not my intention. I'm not that type of guy. Like, um, boy, then, then she, Jennifer Jason Lee just moves on to the friend. Like, okay, you're not <laughs> interested. And I like that the movie is not really that judgmental about her that cause ha- she, she has the conversation with Phoebe Cates after she's like, man, he didn't respond at all. He must not be into me. Like, you know, right. I, I don't know what I did. Like I said, it goes back to the Amy Heckerling like cares about each of these characters individually. Were you good enough where you can see their, their viewpoint? Right. Um, but yes, Phoebe and Cates like, is, and is like right. You, you obviously. put yourself in her shoes and if you, you like make moves on someone and they're like, I gotta go and they just leave. <laughs> I mean, what do you like? We know that he's into her because we've seen right. his story because Heckerling cares about him too. But she doesn't have any of that information. So if you like try to kiss a kiss a guy or a girl and they're like, we should stop. And then they run out the door like, OK, time to move on to somebody who might be interested because clearly this person is not into this for whatever reason. It's time to move on. And I'm glad that you see that side of that character, that even though she's exploring her own sexuality, she is also as just as aware of herself as Ratner is. Like, just, like, kind of, like, unsure and trying to figure everything out. And I think that's true of all of these characters that, you know, none of them, except Spicoli, as we've talked about, none of them is a stereotype. None of them is an over-the-top stereotype. They're all, like, real teenagers, which is something that we don't get, you know, like, you mentioned American Pie. I mean, not only Stifler, but, like, our, you know, three or four quote-unquote heroes in that movie are, you know, pretty stereotypical and pretty over-the-top, too. So it'd be nice really? if we had more like. I always saw you as a Chris Klein type in your high school days, you know, playing you're field hockey me, or whatever. You're convincing me with another one of your co-hosts that are, <laughs> has, has his Chris obsession Klein with finish. Chris Klein. But yes. Check out 99 from 99 where I am astounded every time Chris Klein comes up. And, and as a listener, so am I. This is, it is very strange. God bless Ben Zook, but I don't get that that fascination. That's That's a strange one for me. That's stranger than his fascination with richard nixon i don't know he's, he's got a lot going yeah, on that guy at least nixon was somewhat accomplished i don't really know, i don't know how chris klein has impressed him so but yeah who knows uh, yeah all right so that is it for fast times at ridgemont high um so we went we're gonna go from this episode which is cameron crowe's life experience to our next episode which will be a double feature of uh of amy heckerling's life experience both look who's talking and much later in her career, I Could Never Be Your Woman, are both, you know, kind of based on her own experience. One of them based on her, well, like her pregnancy in the first couple years of her child's life, and then later being a single woman who works in Hollywood. Um, So both of those kind of mirror her life uh, in a couple ways. So that is going to be our next episode. And in between now and then, if you'd like to uh, follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Directed by Hollywood.